Hello and welcome to FibroFlare, a podcast dedicated to fibromyalgia and helping those with this condition find options, advice, and an open conversation about dealing with our bodies. This podcast is brought to you by Tamara Sack Yoga, a yoga company that is focused on helping those with fibromyalgia and other related conditions find relief through yoga practices that are customized and accessible. I am Tamara Sack, registered yoga teacher and owner of Tamara Sack Yoga. While I am not in any way a medical professional and anything discussed in this podcast should not be considered medical advice, I am very passionate about sharing what I have learned through my yoga training, research, and over 15 years of dealing with fibromyalgia with all of you, and allowing an open conversation about our experiences and our options. Therefore, I encourage you to post your stories, reactions, questions, and thoughts on the Facebook page for this podcast, which can be found by searching at FibroFlare Podcast. That's F-I-B-R-O-F-L-A-I-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can find more information about my yoga company, classes, and special offerings at TamaraSackYoga.com. Today, I wanted to share my own story with being diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I'm narrowing this podcast episode pretty much to just that process because, as many of us all know all too well, it's typically not a straightforward process. Like many of us, I was experiencing fibromyalgia symptoms long before a diagnosis was ever found. When I was 11, I had a massive growth spurt and ended up being over six feet tall in the sixth grade. When my knees started grinding and I became less inclined to do any physical activity, even the jump rope that I enjoyed, my family and the school nurse just wrote it off as growing pains. Even when I stopped growing taller, the pains continued. It wasn't every day, but I would often notice myself rubbing at my forearms or my shoulders, trying to work out knots that never seemed to go away. I also noticed occasional IBS symptoms at times, and although I tried to figure out what foods were causing them, the only thing I could ever figure out was that excessive chocolate tended to kick things off, but it didn't explain all the nights that I was running to the bathroom or having to change my clothes. I was also overweight at this point, and as I became less inclined to move, even in active jobs like babysitting and working in a nursing home after school, my weight continued to increase. It was so easy, and admittedly fairly logical, that a lot of my intense joint and back pain was written off as a result of too much weight on my joints. The solution? Move more. Needless to say, it didn't work. I remember when things came to a head in my early 20s. I was finishing my fifth year of undergraduate studies due to changing my major many times. Classroom chairs that were never made for overweight students turned from uncomfortable into horrific torture devices. I would shift constantly, holding my breath to keep in the shrieks of pain I wanted to let out. When I couldn't make it through a 50-minute class without heavy doses of over-the-counter painkillers that never actually worked well, I knew I had to do something. Thankfully, I had reached the age where doctor offices no longer required me to claim my parents' income, so as a college student working at minimum wage with no health insurance, I qualified for sliding scale payments. I immediately went to the advanced chiropractic clinic attached to the local osteopathic medical school. I had been adjusted there before, and it seemed to help, so I was sure that this was the right direction to go. 
I met a student doctor in his final rotation there, Dr. DeGoyer. He listened to me, and when he checked my spine, he noticed a lot of things were out of place. We began six months of weekly treatments as he tried to get my hips, back, and neck back into alignment. It would help for a few days, but the pain always came back. At one point, one of my ribs was very badly out, and he had to call in another doctor to help him get enough traction to fix it. This was the first time in our long relationship that he had been able to see my face while being adjusted. And after the first crack, he stopped everything and stared at me, a kind of horror and surprise on his face. That really hurt you, didn't it? I nodded, letting out the breath that I had been holding. Has it always been that bad? I nodded again, still not able to speak from the pain spiraling through my torso. Why didn't you ever say anything? I always tell you to tell me if it's too much. I shrugged one shoulder. I can survive it. And it does help a little later, and it lasts for a few days. Long term is worth it. I then got a speech from both doctors about how there were limits to treatment, and they really needed to know how much pain I was feeling. Would you stop if I told you that it hurt this much? They both agreed. Well, then it makes sense, right? Because if you stopped, I'll never feel better. So I just deal with it. Neither were very happy with that. And the next time I saw Dr. DeGoyer, there was a mirror in the room. I knew why. And as I've never had the best poker face, he changed his methods according to the grimace on my face. It would take many more years to control my features through the pain, and even now I still slip, although many don't understand the real reason behind them. I still remember the day that everything changed in that exam room. It was another typical day at getting all my vertebrae and pelvis aligned. He asked me to flip over, and my slick dress pants from a day of student teaching slipped against the vinyl of the exam table. I didn't have enough warning to catch myself, and it was only Dr. DeGoyer's fast reflexes that saved me from crashing onto the floor. He snapped out a hand to grab my left elbow and steady me, but neither of us were prepared for the intense scream that ripped out of my throat. We both looked at each other in confusion and alarm as I regained my balance. Did you hurt your elbow? I shook my head, mystified, and pulled up my sleeve to check for a bruise or something I may have missed. I rubbed at the joint, still feeling that lightning strike, strong flare of pain radiating from the bones. I have never felt this before. It's so weird. I haven't hit it on anything that I remember. There was a strange expression that crossed over Dr. DeGoyer's face as he looked at me and assisted me, very gently, to sitting back on the table. He bit his lower lip and looked somewhat hesitant as he caught my gaze. Tamara, I'm going to try something, but you may not really like me that much when it's over. Well, that was ominous. <laughs> he smiled weakly at what I assumed must have been a startled expression on my face. I'm going to check a few spots on your body, similar to how I check your spine before we do an adjustment. I do need you to be fully honest about if it hurts and how much, though. No holding your breath and hiding it, okay? I nodded, thinking this wasn't going to be anything I hadn't been through before. But I had no idea what was to come. His fingers pressed into spots on my neck. 
I stiffened, and my breath caught in a strangled gasp in my throat. He didn't need the mirror to know that it had been like steak knives stabbing deep into my flesh. He moved on to my shoulders, my elbows, my wrists, down my back, along my waist, my hips, my knees, my ankles. By the time he was done, I was sobbing and shaking, unable to hide behind my practice mask even if I had been allowed to. Every spot he had pressed felt on fire, my muscles spasming in agony. He sat down on a stool across the room, watching me pant for breath, my hands clenched on the table, wilting in my posture as every movement increased the pain. He asked if I had any Tylenol in my purse. I did, and he watched me take them with a glass of water he provided. He sat down again and looked me directly in the eye. I have a very strong feeling I know what this is, but I need to run several tests first to make sure. Being kept in the dark like that immediately brought horrible things to mind, like cancer. He tried to reassure me, but the weeks of blood tests and scans ahead only increased my trepidation. Finally, he was done and brought me back in for our usual adjustment. After pushing everything back in place, he sat down on his stool. I've tested you for everything else this could be, and you're negative. It's a good thing. No rheumatoid arthritis, cancer, or autoimmune disorders. But I'm afraid what I'm about to tell you isn't going to be very comforting. Just having a name will help. I truly meant that. Fighting an unknown foe within my own body was so anxiety-producing that I had barely been able to focus on my classwork. A name meant I could research it. A name meant treatment options. A name meant answers. I believe you have something called fibromyalgia. It's a rather mysterious disease, if we can even classify it as a disease. The major hallmark is unexplained or intensified pain, but it comes with a host of seemingly random symptoms. Have you struggled with digestion lately or feeling confused? We went through the list of associated symptoms, and I was shocked at several that I could agree to. I never would have connected my occasional diarrhea problems or my increasing inability to remember anything not written down with the pain that I felt. The insomnia that was becoming a serious problem, it was almost like he had lived in my head for months. The next moments were so elating, though. Finally figuring out the mysterious connection with a host of problems had a serious downside. There's no cure for fibromyalgia. And while some medications have been experimented with for treating it, the results are really mixed. With your medical history of reacting badly to several classes of medications, I don't really recommend them. There's nothing like the stomach-dropping finality of hearing that there is nothing you can do that the pain will always be there. The sympathy etched in every line of the young doctor's face only made the tears a little thicker on my cheeks. He tried to bolster me up with some strategies that were currently being researched, such as daily gentle movement and continuing the adjustments. Losing weight might also help, at least with the joint issues. I remember trying to drive home, but pulling over halfway there and just sobbing on the side of the road. At that moment, it felt like all hope was gone. 
Movement, gentle or otherwise, seemed beyond my pain tolerance. I could barely sit through classes, and it was making me irritable and highly emotional during these classes, something that my professors were frustrated with and was pushing my classmates away from me. Whispers of me being mentally unstable weren't hard to overhear, and my attempts to try to make things a little bit more comfortable for myself without exposing my condition crashed and burned around me. It would have been so much better if I had just been honest, but as I had already discovered online that many didn't even believe in fibromyalgia as a real thing, I kept my condition to myself, and I tried to manipulate the world around me. It didn't work. Very soon, I was forced into a world of untested treatments, desperate research, medications that never helped long-term, and periods of hopelessness and fear of what stroking out due to pain would look like. Books on fibromyalgia were rare, and there weren't support groups at that time. I felt alone, lost, and it wasn't much longer before the pain and depression built to a point where I was trapped in my home, at my highest weight ever, and unable to sit or stand for more than five minutes at a time. I popped opiates like candy and mainlined sugar to keep myself awake enough to work an online job. I was miserable, and every day felt like I was slipping deeper into this tunnel of increasing pain and torture. On my really bad days, I would wake up crying that God hadn't allowed me to die in my sleep. It would take the next few years to begin finding the strength to try new options, to find some relief, to find a life that I actually wanted to live. Those things I discovered, and my much better health and functionality today, are the major drivers behind this podcast and my yoga company. I know there are thousands of women and probably even some men like me who could benefit from some of the strategies I've developed, lessons I've learned, and experiments I've tried. No one deserves to live in constant pain. And if I can help even one person decrease their suffering, even by just a few percentage points, it'll all be worth it. I encourage you to stop by the Facebook page for this podcast at Fibroflare Podcast and share your own diagnosis story. I truly believe that not only will sharing help us create a stronger community of support, but also serve as testimony as to what flaws there are in the medical system and how it can improve to better support and serve people like us. I'm looking forward to connecting with all of you. Until next time, take care and thank you for listening.